We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Gold. Messi takes everybody on. Messi has got it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2 and he's... From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal, soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined by my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we're going to break down the Giants edge rushers and this is an expansive group especially when you consider what new defensive coordinator Patrick Graham is planning to do with these with these two positions these two edge guys that will sometimes be their hand in the dirt sometimes will be standing up we're going to talk about all that but it's a really expansive group and it's really interesting group and I think they're going to be used in different downs and different situations a lot different than what we've seen from the Giants edges or defensive ends whatever you want to call them over the past decade so excited to get into that part of our positional breakdown series as we still roll through the lull of the NFL offseason, though training camp is supposedly back on its way. Uh, but before we dive into all of that, Nick, I did want to get a little quarantine update from you. The fans have spoken, and apparently they do enjoy the quarantine update. So so where are we at with you on a quarantine update? 
Where are we at with me? I mean, things have kind of just been the same, to be honest. Been going on a lot of runs, playing a lot of tennis, all those kind of things, man. I haven't played NCAA in probably about a month or so, which is, I think it's just done, you know. I got to a point where I made the Marshall Thundering Herd too good. And recruiting wasn't fun for me, and it wasn't a challenge. So I just moved on to the next thing. Still playing PUBG every now and again with my brothers. You know, that's a really good social event that we have going every now and again. But other than that, man, things have just kind of been the same. And obviously, we had the Scott Fish Bowl which is pretty cool and i'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit yeah for sure i mean quarantine is quarantine at this point i haven't really had you know usually this is the exact time of year where i'll go on a big vacation 10 day or um you know 14 days the past couple summers i've done big hiking trips out west um for really three summers in a row now uh but this one it didn't happen uh there still may be something i can do in august it's kind of it's tough to plan things right now like me and my brother have talked a little me and another friend who uh, um, I've done a hiking trip in the past. I've done talked a little, but like, you know, maybe doing something up in Maine. You drive up there. They have Acadia National Park up there, but it's tough to plan things when you when you when you think about like, okay, where am I going to stay? That's a little weird. All right, what about dinners after the hikes? Like going out and having drinks and dinner. Oh, that's ruined. So it's takeout in the hotel or wherever you're staying at. So it's like it, the whole thing is kind of odd and weird. So I don't know. It might just be a no a no vacation summer for me. Straight straight through. It's really abysmal when you think about it. I actually went out to a mall for the first time in a while yesterday, and uh, Express was having incredible deals, like $50 pairs of shorts for like $10 and grab. So it was cool to be out in public. I just, I think about future vacations. I should be going to Wildwood here shortly, which is a place down in uh, South Jersey, for those of you who uh, do not know. But the beaches, man, like what's it going to be like? If Again, like you're going to be able to go to a bar? Are you going to be able to go out to eat? inside places is everything going to have to be outdoors which seems like that's what everything uh, how jersey's operating right now which is all good and everything but it's very hard to plan you're not wrong yeah. the only reason i'm the only reason i'm going is because i know somebody who has a house down there like i'm not going out to get a hotel right. because all that stuff is just really really uh it's just unpredictable at this point it really is and i mean at this point we got to hope that people i i don't want to get political here but we got to hope that people are going to wisen up a bit and take this a little bit more seriously just for the mere fact that we want to get rid of this faster i mean it, it it was okay to lose march it was okay to lose april it was okay to lose these months but if we lose the fall the fall is school and football if school shuts back down for these kids and for the families and for the teachers and if football is gone in the fall it's gonna get really depressing here like we gotta we gotta beat this thing like south korea beat it there's some countries that have done a pretty good job with it we gotta do better we i think we at least can admit that at this point and uh, specifically our area has done a really good job in new jersey um if you look at it and the whole idea is listen if you if we minimize this now it'll get smaller and smaller and smaller and it will be less likely to pop back up in your area because it's not spreading at, at you know it's I, I don't know, Nick. It's just I'm at a loss for words. We can't lose the fall. If we lose the fall, if we lose football and if school shuts down, then we're just driving right into winter where it's just going to get worse. So I don't know, man. I don't know. Let that depression just sink in. my man. <laughs> <laughs> I had a conversation with this, a deep combo about this a couple of days ago. So it's like fresh on my mind. But it, fall is big. Like we, we could afford to. I never I got to be honest. I never in my wildest dreams thought this was going to last past i thought august by far like without a doubt we were gonna have august back i didn't even think it was possible i thought july really july was the the month i thought we would get it would start to get back to normal but i don't know man but how about the scott the scott fishbowl let's talk a little scott fishbowl we teased it on the last pod 
Scott Fishbowl is essentially this 1,400. It's that many people, just to give you a better scope of it. 1,400 plus, I think, like 1,445 or something. Different fantasy football analysts and then some fans who are lucky enough to get the invite compete in this fantasy football draft, which is breaking down, broken down into divisions, 12 apiece. But because it's 1,400 people or it might be – you know, I think it's 4,400. It's so big at this point. I'm not sure. It's either 1,444. I looked it up. Or 4,400. But it was a couple, a couple weeks ago, and I don't remember exact number. One of the two. Big difference there. But either way, you get the idea. It's a massive fantasy football tournament. Um, with crazy rules, the draft was the draft started last week, and it's a slow draft. But you can do you know uh, throughout the days, throughout the week, you get like a twenty four hour clock or whatnot. But it's really unique rules. Scoring is extremely unique. Not only is it super flex, but quarterback scoring is very odd. You get points for completions, inc- uh, negative points for incompletions, interceptions, and sacks are major negatives. So really, you want these hyper efficient quarterbacks. The idea of his scoring system there is to not. You know, it's not reward the garbage time quarterbacks as much. So with that in mind and with the fact that it's super flex, meaning you can start two quarterbacks a week. And if you can start two quarterbacks a week, you want to start two quarterbacks a week. As long as you don't get down in the depths of those nasty ones down there taking sacks and throwing incomplete passes and interceptions. Because those guys, according to Scott's scoring, will actually give you negative points in a week. So you got to be careful. But with that in mind and with points for running back first downs and with extra points for tight end receptions and... Uh, tight end first downs. I had a really unique strategy for my draft, Nick. I had the third overall pick. In almost every other fantasy draft, Nick, I would be taking one of the big three backs. Though, to be fair, and this may be a fault of mine, Nick, but I'll be honest about it. I treat fantasy football. I try my best to. I, I'm a. I'm a good analyst, I believe. I don't. I, you know, I wrote about it for for pro football focus fantasy for seven years. I do a ton of research and studying, except for this year, which I've slacked a little because it's very hard to study up on fantasy football when you're not sure a season's going to happen. But my point is this: I also believe the game should be about having fun, and this is different than a lot of analysts. This is different than a lot of even amateur players who play the game. I believe that. In part, you should factor in the fun factor. So if you look back at my history of drafting, you'll see very few Eagles, Redskins, and Cowboys. That's just how it is. <laughs> and it is likely to a fault. It really is likely to a fault. But no. fantasy football should be about having fun too. And I don't want to root and own for these players on my team. And on the flip side, I have owned a lot of Giants over the years. I really have. Giants, I believe, could break out. You know, I think they're going to break out, right? Like I owned Evan Ingram last year. I really saw the breakout coming. You know, he was cheap. The value felt good, as it will this year. But he's always going to be injured. We, we know, or at least according to all the fans. It's going to probably be injured again. We'll see. Point is, at third overall, I bypassed Ezekiel Elliott. Saquon Barkley was already off the board. Went C-Mac and Elliott. And I went with Patrick Mahomes because the way I view this league, quarterbacks are a very scarce position because you need it, You want to start two every week. But not only do you want to start two every week, the bottom barrel of the quarterbacks in this unique scoring format are going to get you negative points or are going to be worse than these running backs, receivers, and tight ends. So I didn't want to end up with two or three quarterbacks and two or th- and two of them are in the bottom tier. So I figured I'd go Mahomes. And then on the comeback, Nick, I I, I thought about it before the draft. I said, I'm going to have a different strategy this year. In past Scott Fishbowl years, I had just simply drafted value. I did value-based drafting. At every pick, I drafted the best value. I tried to outsmart the rest of the, you know, the rest of my league, the rest of the draft, the rest of the 4,400 people playing in this mega tournament by just getting value. But after thinking about it prior to the draft, Nick, I decided I'm not going to win the Scott Fishbowl. I hadn't won it yet with that strategy. And I'm not going to win it 
by going for value. The only way you're going to win this, in my opinion, is by stacking players on the same team. The only way you win a large-scale tournament in anything, in DFS, in, I don't know, lottery, whatever you lottery is not a good example, but in DFS and all these large entry tournaments, is by stacking because you don't want, if you're not first, you're last in these things. And if you get a good value team and it's not going to get you anywhere in the Scott Fishbowl, you need to stack, you want to hit that one in 4,000, 4,400 chance or whatever it is to win this league. It's not a one in 12. It's not a one in 100. It's not a one in 500. You know, it's not even a one in 1,000. This chance to win are very low. So I bypassed a lot of players I would rather have in that second round picnic. And I took Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over about seven running backs who I would have taken over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in any draft. I don't even really like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in fantasy that much. I don't really like going for the rookies. They're almost always overvalued, the big-name rookies, especially because most of the time they don't pick up pass pro early. And their role is not really big until the end of the season, if at all. But I figure this. I could have taken Aaron Jones there. It's obviously a better value pick. But you want to stack because the whole— the idea of this whole thing is to stack and is to hit and stay. If the Chiefs offense goes off, and I, by the way, when I made this picnic, I saw Tyreek Hill was still on the board, and I knew the way this draft was going. My league went super heavy running back and super heavy quarterback that Hill was going to come back in the third round. So bang, third round comes around, and I take Hill. So I start my draft, Mahomes, C-H, <laughs> Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Hill, the pure stack, fire stack. Later on, as the draft goes, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but I did two other stacks, so my team is really – Three teams. It's the Steelers, the Chiefs, and one other team. And I got Roth. I got Juju. So I got a nice stack going there. I missed out on Connor. Wanted Connor, but I was able to get Ebron just to continue the stacking. The idea is just stack, stack, stack. Get a lot of players from the same teams. Those guys go off. You're going to win. If they they don't go off, you're going to lose. But you're going to lose anyway. If you do, you're going to, most people are going to lose the Scott Fishbowl. That's the whole point of all this. Almost everyone is going to be a loser in this tournament, in a tournament of that size. So that was my strategy, Nick. Stack, go for the win or bust strategy. What was yours and how did you like how your team came out? Yeah, first off, the goal of the Scott Fish Bowl is just to win your division, which is just 12 people that are, that's in the divisions. That's the initial goal. And well, then that's you not get the goal. Playoff. That's the starting point. That's the starting goal, though. So you also want to take that into consideration. But for me, I had the seventh pick. And the seventh pick is one of the worst picks to have in this fantasy draft. So before me, the big running backs went and three quarterbacks actually went. It was Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and then Dak Prescott. So that means the number one wide receiver, Michael Thomas, fell to the seventh spot. So I said, you know what? I'm definitely going to go with Michael Thomas here because I want to lock down that position. You have to start start at least three receivers anyways, and he's the best one. So lock that up. That's exactly what I did. The second round comes around. It's like, okay, I want to get a running back here, but if value falls to me, I'm not going to be stubborn with that. But Josh Jacobs fell to me. So I said, hmm, might as well, right? Josh Jacobs, he's somebody who you hope to be, you want him to be utilized a little bit more in the passing game out there in Las Vegas this season. But I selected him with my second pick, and I was just like, I'm just going to think I'm going to wait on quarterbacks here because quarterbacks were flying off the board at this point, and I thought it was just a little early, and I've done that before in the Scott Fishbowl. And you know what? It's really burned me. It's really screwed me over. Yeah. And my teams would fall apart because one of my quarterbacks would get injured, and then there's absolutely nothing you can really do to recover from there because if you're lucky, you'll get someone like Nick Mullins from 2018. <laughs> your quarterback so you really have to be careful with that but I think I did a good job the third round rolls around and I'm like okay I think Kenny Galladay is in for a big year here with Matt Stafford so I selected Kenny Galladay 
fourth round, I end up going with Clyde Edwards Alaire. He fell to the fourth round in my draft, actually. Which and I to be good. fair, he should be going there. He probably would yes. fall there in most drafts. I made a conscious decision that I don't think I would have got him at the, on the back end of the fourth round if I would passed on him there. And I wanted to stack. I believe in stacking. Anyway, go on. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not begrudging you whatsoever for that decision. I also waited on tight ends. I ended up getting Cortland Sutton uh, shortly after that. And then I ended up going. Where's now, your quarterbacks? Do you have a quarterback quarterbacks, on the roster? Yes, I got Jimmy Garoppolo, Ben Roethlisberger, Sam Darnold, and Jared okay. Stidham. So no. not right. terrible, not great. I thought, uh, especially Jimmy Garoppolo, fits this um, scoring format a yeah, lot better. One thing I did think was weird is that quarterbacks, like I thought of you, really, is quarterbacks like Derek Carr are really good in this format because the completion percentage is going to be high, and they don't necessarily turn the ball over all that much, but. He's really not that great of a quarterback when you think of fantasy football. So quarterbacks like him went really, really early. And I saw Jimmy Garoppolo, Ben Roethlisberger just keep falling. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait a little bit, be a little patient, and ended up nabbing them. And then as for tight ends, I ended up just going with middling tight ends, but one really high upside guy and Noah Fant. And I ended up getting Kyle Rudolph, Tyler Eifert, Dawson Ooh, Knox. That's an so, ugly tight end corpse. Hey, you know what? If if Noah Fant hits, I don't think that's going to be as bad. I don't— Maybe. Uh, no, if I don't, Noah Fan hits in a run-heavy offense with 70 million targets to go to Jerry Judy, uh, different offense coordinator. It's a different offense coordinator now, now named Pat Shermer, guys, all right? That's true. Because he definitely can... knew how to utilize Evan Ingram. That's true. All right, fair enough. I think you went a completely different strategy than me, which is interesting. Um, you went value-based strategy, and you didn't exactly you know, succumb to the – to I would say like the – you know, a lot of these drafts went, everyone avoided wide receivers because of the rules. A lot of these drafts went, everyone went quarterbacks early because of the rules. A lot of these drafts went, everyone, at least in my freaking draft, which killed me, went running back, running back, just insane running back run. Like, the first four or five rounds were just flooded with backs. I was not able to get a good running back corpse in this league, and not because I didn't try. I knew that I wanted to wait on receiver based on the rules, but I didn't have the option. But you you went different route there, and, and we'll see how it works. You got two stud receivers out of it, so they should be getting new points every week. And I think Ben Roethlisberger was super underrated in this format because he completes a high percentage of passes, and he throws a lot of passes. So there's a ton of total completions there. Um, and then you look at Derek Carr, like you said, he's actually unbelievable. It's crazy. Carr's like a great <laughs> – if you just go by la- – if you use this year's scoring in the Scott Fishbowl and last year's stats, Derek Carr's like a top 10 quarterback because he completes 70% of his passes, checks down every play, and there you go. You're getting points for that. So really interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, but let's talk a little Giants football here. Woo. Time to dive back into the Giants here, Nick. So before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. All right, Nick, let's break down the edge players. We'll keep them at that. 
linebackers, if you want to call them that, whatever you wanted to say. We're not going to talk to Blake Martinez's and the Ryan Conley's on this show. But I want to talk about the guys who the Giants may line up on the edge in there. You know, we're, we're expecting, like we talked about, if you dive back into our Patrick Graham podcast. So if you're new to the show, definitely go back a little and check out our Patrick Graham podcast, how the Patrick Graham defense will look like with the Giants. I think it was easily our best podcast of the offseason. So back to that, like we said, it's going to be a different defense. There's going to be some multiple looks on this defense with different fronts, different players playing this joker role, this star role off the edge, these interesting positions based on down and distance. We know he wants to blitz a lot. He does that a lot. The two things we know will come from this Giants defense are a lot more blitzing and a lot more man coverage. But Within that, there's going to be different guys playing different roles off the edge and asked to do different things. So let's bring it all the way back, Nick. Here's the guys we think are competing for these spots for the most part. It's Mar- It's I'm sorry. It's Lorenzo Carter, former third-round pick. We were super high on coming into year three. O'Shane is imminent, coming into second season with the Giants, another third-round pick. Kyler Fackrell, free agent signing who I was super excited about. Easily the signing that got me most excited this offseason. I think by far and away the highest upside signing. And I think it will prove to come to fruition as the best value signing by far for the Giants this offseason. Um, and then potentially some of these newer guys that we got to talk about. Carter Coughlin, a guy who intrigues me. He's undersized, but I think he can find a role in this specific defense. And potentially Marcus Golden, who, by the way, If he doesn't sign anywhere before July 28th, the only team he can sign with is the New York Giants on one year, $4.25 million. So, Nick, I'll ask you the million-dollar question here, which is, can the Giants win the way they're planning to, which is different guys and different roles based on down and distance, and not necessarily the ability to win one-on-one battles off the edge? Yeah, one-on-one battles consistently winning them is it's important, no doubt. But you look at the New England Patriots last year; they didn't necessarily have that, and they ranked 13th, according to Pro Football Focus, when it comes to pressure. So, almost middle of the pack, but they were still a playoff team that was basically predicated on their defense. I would honestly like to have one of those quote-unquote blue goose pass rushers who you can consistently rely upon them to beat the tackles one-on-one. The Giants don't necessarily have that. I do believe they can scheme pressure. I do believe that you can use stunts, twists, bring five-man pressure packages. But the kind of caveat and the thing that is contingent on that being successful is the man coverage on the back end. So really, you have to look at the edge group and the secondary and kind of look at them in conjunction with each other and how they can feed off each other. Because if the edge group can get pressure, the secondary can effectively play man coverage and hold off just long enough, then maybe this unit can really come together and get the pressure because they're not inept. Players like Lorenzo Carter, they they flash, right? They, they have those flashes, but they're just not fully consistent yet. Fackrell had a really good 2018, but 2019... They added Preston Smith and Zadaria Smith, so he was relegated to a more backup role. But when he was out there, he was getting pressure. He only had, I think, that one sack in the San Francisco game. But he's a player that can step up and have a much bigger role now that he's in a different situation. And then we, as Giant fans, were hoping for Oceans and Menez to take that next step as well, that next step uh, in his development because he was a rookie and he showed some flashes as a quick pass rusher with really quick hands, violent hands, but... Betcha tried putting him out there against the run, and it wasn't that great. So I feel that the Giants with five-man pressure packages, especially 
twists and stunts and the way that they can manipulate the line along with the defensive line of Leonard Williams, who's a versatile player, and some of those big boys they have up front. I think they can get pressure. It's definitely not going to be their strong suit, but if that secondary can hold up a man coverage, it's not going to be the biggest Achilles heel, I feel like. Because you look at the roster, it doesn't look all that sexy, but if they can play man coverage on the back end, it's not going to be it's not going to be as big of a liability as I think we're expecting it to be. Yeah, I think there's a lot of expectations that it will be a liability, but I do believe that the new wave idea in the NFL is really true and going to come to fruition that, you know, you look at what these teams have done, the Patriots and the Ravens, two of the best pass defense in the NFL over the past couple of seasons, and it's really prioritizing pass coverage over pass rush. And I really believe that ultimately if the Giants fail again on defense, it will be for the same reason I thought it was last year. It was that they couldn't cover the receivers. Coverage to me is ultimately now a lot more important to me than the than these one-on-one pass rushers because you can scheme up pass rush. You can scheme up pressure. Can you scheme up coverage though, Nick? I don't think so. You can have some decent, you know, you can have different looks. You can have rotating safeties, things of that nature. But ultimately, you need these guys to win one-on-one in coverage, um, especially if you're a team like the Patriots like the Ravens, like the Giants are going to be, by the way, under Patrick Graham, and like the Dolphins were under Patrick Graham, a team that uses a lot of man coverage. If you're using a lot of man coverage on the back end, it's way more important to have these corners who can, and, and safeties, if you're going to use the safeties in that way, who can cover man-to-man, one-on-one. That's going to be ultimately, to me, way more important for this Giants defense. So to me, I think they have what it takes to really get their scheme rolling the way they want it to. It's just more so a matter of can can it all mesh together. That's what it's all about is all meshing together. And if you have one issue in coverage, it's going to be exploited and picked on. And that is – we've seen that so many times throughout the NFL. And that's the thing that I'm a little worried about. Last year we saw it with the slot position with Grant Haley. It was exploited time and time again. And it wasn't even as bad as it really could have been. So if the Giants can really – they have James Bradbury on one side. We don't know what's going on with DeAndre Baker right now. Say you have Ballantyne or Sam Beal on the other side and they take a step that we're not necessarily expecting. You have Xavier McKinney playing the slot or Julian Love and you're seeing that three safety look but then you have say a linebacker in coverage that is a liability that can consistently get picked on by a running back out of the backfield or a tight end and you're playing man coverage and they're forced to cover that can also be an issue that's why you have these three safeties though that maybe you can sub that linebacker out put your bro peppers in there somebody who's a little bit more better against man coverage and those are i guess the ways you can kind of scheme around uh the liabilities that you have in the secondary but it still is going to come down to can you play man coverage in that flash of a just boom? Can you not fall for a double move? Can you stick into the hip pocket and stay in phase with certain receivers to allow that pass rush or that five-man pressure package or the stunts or the twist or whatever the Giants choose to use to actually get after the quarterback and significantly pressure them? Because Giants don't have the Chase Young. They don't have a Montez Sweat. They don't have a Ryan Kerrigan, and that's just the other team in the division that's a, a cellar dweller. There's concern, but they can get over it if things fall in place the right way. But those things need to fall in place the right way. Yeah, so let's talk individual players to see if these guys can fit the roles of this defense. Let's start with Kyler Fackrell, who, were, while working under Patrick Graham in 2018 with the Green Bay Packers, um, Graham was his linebackers coach, had a double-digit sack season, really breakout season, got a lot of snaps and played well with them. Now he comes over to the Giants, Patrick Graham's his defensive coordinator. He didn't have as many sacks in 2019. He didn't play a lot of snaps, as we obviously know. The Packers drafted a first-round edge, and they signed two massive edge contracts last offseason in free agency. In addition to that, he gets to work under Brett Bielma, 
former head coach of multiple college football teams. He's coming in. uh, He's worked with the Patriots coaching staff as well under Bill Belichick. He's coming in to be the outside linebackers coach to try to develop these types of players. Fackrell, Carter, Ziminens. People will talk about on this podcast. But let's start right now with Fackrell. What are your expectations for him in year one with the Giants? I think Fackrell right now, what say Marcus Golden is not on the roster. I think he still might be the, I would say, second pass rusher. I think it's going to be him and Carter are up for that first spot. If Golden's there, Golden's definitely going to be thrown into that. But I expect him to be consistent to what his career's kind of led. Now, if you look at the sack numbers from 2018, he has 10 and a half sacks. That's solid, right? Last year he had, according to Pro Football Focus 2, but it was really one and a half. But when you look at the pressures, he had 26 pressures last year and 23 in 2018 he was just much high, uh, much better at finishing and he just got kind of the luck of the draw of being able to finish the sacks in that in that season as well but the sample size while it was he had 243 pass rushes in 2018 he only had he had 231 in 2019 he just didn't finish in 2019 with those other guys uh, next to him for whatever reason. I don't believe it's a diminishing skill set. I feel like he's going to step in here and he's going to be somebody that you can use on the slants, on the twists. He has good uh, quickness off the snap. He's a long player too. He's like six foot five. So I think he's definitely somebody that can uh, definitely contribute, but he's not the players that we were referring to earlier when it comes to the blue goose kind of pass rushers. I think he can come in and if it falls right for him, I could see him getting like six sacks, but 11 Ten and a half sacks, that's that's a lot of sacks to really kind of expect from Fackrell. But when you look at his total pressure throughout the years, his rookie season 2016, he had 12. 2017, he had 27, which was the most he ever had. 2018, he only had 23. He just had the ten and a half sacks. In 2019, he had 26. So that's actually something that uh, to, to also keep in mind. He just wasn't finishing last year. He was still kind of getting after the quarterback, though. Yes, and Fackrell was actually creating more pressure on a per-pass-rush-snap basis in 2019 than his breakout 2018. He just didn't have as many opportunities. One thing I think is interesting when when I've gone back and watched him uh, on that Green Bay Packers team, tried to watch him and Martinez, is Fackrell, I think, is more athletic than people realize and more agile than people realize, and I think he can be more interesting for this defense, a piece that can also drop into coverage. I think he's really much better than people realize when dropping into coverage, which is going to be a big, big benefactor for, again, a defense that isn't always going to have these edges just rushing off the edge or slamming into <laughs> into offensive linemen. It's going to be, you know, these guys are going to have multiple roles. So I think that's something super interesting about him. I'm not sure I feel that way with the next guy we're going to talk about, Lorenzo Carter, who, you know, really... I was expecting a breakout by this point, Nick. I was extremely high on the pick. One of my favorite picks the Giants have made in years. I thought he was unbelievably uh, untapped, and, and he still is. I mean, he's, you know, his teammate, his Georgia teammate who was on the Giants the first year, I'm forgetting his name now, cornerback, uh, undrafted guy who got injured and never made it. But uh, he, he said he's basically like the LeBron James of football, the way he's built and the way he moves for his size. Just an absolutely ridiculous athletic freak Lorenzo Carter with burst with smoothness agility um size and length and it just kind of hasn't all translated yet what are we going to get from Carter in year three is now a time we can expect to break out in a new defense or you know where exactly should we should we be standing on Carter as we head into 2020 I look at Patrick Graham and I think he can take someone like Carter, somebody who is a second level defender, someone who has that athletic ability to cover in space and you can kind of do a lot of different things with him and kind of, I guess, maximize his potential. But last year, like my biggest thing with Carter was he just wasn't consistent. 
last season because he had games like that New England game where he comes around the corner, he forces the fumble, ends up being a touchdown for the Giants. Uh, there was the Buffalo game. He had a couple of nice pass rush reps and put himself in a position against the run, and that was a power running team, so they used a lot of pulling guards, pulling centers, and there were a couple times I can remember because I just went over film of him uh, recently where he lowered his shoulder, took out a pulling guard and the pulling center on a, on, on a two-pulling play to the outside and just clogged up the entire the entire run for the offense. I think on that same play, Dexter Lawrence split the uh, split the um, the block from the uh, backside guard and like ended up tracking down the running back and making a really impressive tackle there too. But I think there were just there were there were flashes for sure, and especially at the end of the season too. During that Washington game, he was dominating. It was Donald Penn. Donald Penn's an older player, but he was really getting after. Uh, Case Keenum, I remember he hit his arm in the red zone and forced an incompletion. He had a couple sacks in that game, I want to say, too. Washington, or in the week 17 against Philadelphia, there was the play where uh, they tried to uh, run a jet sweep and use him as an unblocked defender and just use the speed of the wide receiver to get around him. And it just did not work whatsoever because Lorenzo Carter closed with and tackled him for like a five-yard loss. So there are these flashes, and I did see him kind of be used as an unblocked defender on the backside a lot. And to his credit, he would make them pay. And he would make he got a lot of his tackles being an unblocked defender, which is good and it's also kind of bad because we're not seeing him defeat blocks as often as we necessarily would like him to. But at the same time, he's very reactionary and he's using his athletic burst and his quickness to make sure that those hey, you're not gonna use me as a as an unblocked defender. I'm gonna close with and I'm gonna stress this play and make it be tackle for a loss or you know, very minimal gain, which we also saw Lorenzo Carter do. But I, I just want to see more consistency when it comes to his pass rush. I think he has been, bro. I think he has that flexibility. He has all the natural traits. He just doesn't put it all together at the same time. And I don't feel like he has a pass rushing repertoire or uses his counter moves uh, with the timing that you really need to to really take advantage of tackles in the NFL. So if he can kind of put all this together, because the kid's only 24 years old still. He's only 24. If he can put all that together, I think that he can maximize the potential that we have kind of thought that he would have already but this might be the year where it actually happens hopefully we get the season to see if that materializes but i still hold some hope for him but this is that make it or break it year in my opinion yeah i think i mean still at 24 years old it's hard to call make it or break it uh, in my mind just because he's still such a young athlete for, for the giants i'm talking about for the Conk. giants though yeah he came in so young he could definitely resurface somewhere else a few things to keep in mind. He really hasn't been given the opportunity, in my opinion. To, he was a raw pass rusher. As you said, His biggest, my biggest concern with him right now is the same thing you outlined. He doesn't have the pass rush moves. And it's really, you know, we're going into year three, and he still doesn't have a really good pass rush repertoire. And that's that's obviously an issue. I mean, you could have all the athleticism and, and edge burst in the world. But if you don't have the moves as a pass rusher, you're never going to make it in that regard. But at the same time, I don't really feel like he's been given enough reps to kind of become this uh, you know, big name pass rusher. A lot of times in in the old James Betcher defense, he was asked to do things that just weren't simply rushing the passer. He had really low snap rates of just simply used as an edge guy. So maybe that will be something that Patrick Graham comes in, looks at the film, and says, "We got to really dedicate Carter to becoming this edge edge rusher on our team and working with him in that regard and giving him more opportunities." 
And what we've seen Patrick Graham's defense too is, especially on these third downs, third and six plus stuff like that is you'll have the two linemen down, maybe even one lineman. You'll have just a bunch of second level defenders. We saw Betcher use this a little bit, but not as much as definitely when you go through Graham's tape. I think that can really work out to Lorenzo Carter's skill set because you can bring him, you can drop him, you can do a lot of different things. And if he's fluid and he's not committing himself to a specific gap until right before the snap, if he times that up well with his explosiveness and his power, because he does have power as well, coming down, getting leverage and just hitting a guard and possibly, you know, attacking the half man, getting turning the inside shoulder or whatever he ends up doing to said the center of the guard, whatever interior offensive lineman, he can definitely take advantage of it. I think you can kind of utilize him. You can bring him off the edge. You can use him in that, in that light, maybe bring a five man pressure package, maybe use somebody else as a, as the hammer on, on a stunt to pick the guard and have uh, Lorenzo use his athletic ability and his quick uh, step to go around said interior offensive lineman. I think he he can do that because he can bend and he can use all that. But you need this. You still need him to use the right moves with the right timing, and that's not something that he has done consistently enough yet. Yeah, that's completely fair. Let's move on to O'Shane's imminent and do a little bit of a breakdown on on the X Man, a guy who you know was selected with one of those draft picks they acquired in the Odell Beckham trade. Came in with the idea that listen. Gettleman told reporters we liked him because he has a repertoire of pass moves ready. He has a counter moves. He's a lot more advanced as an actual pass rusher. And by the way, super productive, obviously at Old Dominion. So take that with a grain of salt, but super productive as a pass rusher at collegiate level, something we didn't see as much from Lorenzo Carter. And they really liked that. And at times I thought it really translated in his rookie season. I thought he had some really good pass rushes and I thought he was ultimately very productive for a rookie. What do you expect of the X-Men going into year two? Is he someone who kind of will always kind of slot in as more of a, rotational role player or can he kind of take his game to the next level i think he can certainly take his game to the next level i just feel like he has to get a little bit better at the point of attack which could come with maturity and just you know being in an nfl weightlifting program for a year he's only 23 years old and he doesn't have that same build as lorenzo carter carter's built like an adonis you know he's just shredded like like uh that former georgia teammate said he has like a lebron kind of uh, physique to him. O'Shane's a little bit more slender. He's six foot four, two fifty two, but he definitely is more advanced. When you watch his tape, his timing with his pass rush moves, his hands, the violence he has in his hands, even though he's not like an overly uh, bigger guy, he still really kind of packs a punch and can dip. And he has the quickness. He has kind of all those things going for him. Doesn't necessarily have the strength in the lower body quite yet. We saw him kind of be used, and he would be easily turned away on. Uh, the line of scrimmage couldn't really hold up the edge as well. That's why the Giants seem to use him a lot more in passing situations. He had 269 pass rushing reps as opposed to 201 rushing reps. So it seemed like the Giants were putting him out there on those pass rushes because he was able to generate pressure and he could win with quickness. And he had a couple moves. We saw him use a couple counter moves. One comes to mind, I think, against Tampa Bay. I'm not sure which tackle it was, but I believe he ended up getting a sack on that play. So he's definitely somebody who was able to get pressure and that's something that the Giants are going to really need and he's still really really young so the development can be high he's another player that Patrick Graham I feel like he fits in well with you know the just fluid kind of moving of the second level defenders and he's somebody who's a little bit versatile as well but uh, I'm uh, I'm excited for his second year but this is again this is only his second year going into the NFL so we might not see a huge jump but I, I like O'Shane Zimenez and I thought that was a really good pick by Dave Gettleman yeah X-Man is definitely someone who I think can factor into this Patrick Graham defense. I think he's going to be somebody who 
can play more than you know a bigger role than people are expecting at this time just because he's somebody who can who already has a lot of what you need off the edge as far as the technique goes um somebody you can trust to kind of get pressure when you scheme it up for him if you scheme him a nice situation he can deliver he can get past his guy so i think x-men could be a player that actually grows a little bit more in a new defense. How about the other guys on this roster, though, Nick? Can you see any of the rookies, Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, any of those guys playing a role you know, off the edge in either the star or joker position in this defense? I, I think Cam Brown can fill in on joker sometimes. He's not necessarily an edge, but that length is going to be something that's very important and something that you know Patrick Graham is going to want to try to utilize. But he's definitely more of a... I wouldn't say he's an edge rusher. He definitely doesn't have the flexibility in his lower half to really pull that off. But I think you can use him. You could blitz him. You could drop him. You could do kind of similar things I was talking about with Lorenzo Carter, but he's not nearly as skilled as an edge rusher as Carter is. But just having that length out there, again, it closes second uh, second level windows, passing windows when you drop a linebacker back into some sort of zone coverage. And even if it is man coverage against a tight end that might not have you know elite level athletic uh, athletic ability and route running and stuff cam brown can stick with him and use his length to definitely disrupt him because he is also strong and also hit uh tight ends off the line of scrimmage so i think cam brown is interesting but i definitely i don't think about him as much as edge especially like when you look at guys like carter coughlin because carter coughlin was you can call him an off-ball linebacker people don't think he's right. gonna be an edge because he has you know tyrannosaurus rex arms but he played edge a lot at minnesota and he has a quick first step we've talked about that he hasn't bent. he's pretty violent with his hands as well but it, it, it you're at a significant disadvantage when you're a pass rusher with sub 32 inch arms and that's what carter coughlin has going on i want to say they're like slightly more than 31 so that's really really short but i think he's somebody that may earn snaps Definitely towards the end of the year if the Giants are dealing with injuries in the position group, things like that. But I think he's probably just going to be relegated to special teams before that. Yeah, and then you have Oluwale Butuku and Dana Levine. Good Butuku was a transfer from USC to Illinois, and he's somebody who was highly regarded going to USC. And he's a talented player, but... There's still going to be uh, need to be development. He needs to stay healthy because that's a big reason that he's been injured. Dana Levine's a little bit uh, raw. He's coming from Temple, but he's definitely somebody who has the explosiveness. I expect one of those two guys to make this team. I'm not 100% sure which one. According to, uh, according to the Giants' depth chart, they have him as strong side linebacker, Dana Levine, but he can definitely fill edge just watching his Temple tape. He can definitely play more of a Sam or a weak, probably more of a Will weak side linebacker role in a four linebacker, three, four base defense. But he's somebody who's also kind of interesting. And if he can uh, definitely develop a little bit more with just the nuances of rushing the passer, I think his athletic profile will translate well to the edge position. Yeah, I think there's some definitely some back end talent that could be interesting on this roster. All right, Nick, let me ask you this. If you had a bold prediction to make about this Giants edge group for 2020, what would it be? Well, it's looking like Marcus Golden is going to – he might be on the Giants. So I, I honestly, man, we for a second, I think we got to applaud Dave Gettleman for that move. I know we talked about it before, but the fact that he was able to get Golden for, what was it, like $4.6 a year, use that tag, and then if he does leave, it's going to go into the Giants' compensatory pick process for 2021. That was very, very wise. So if I had a bold prediction, I'm going to say that – Lorenzo Carter is going to hit a breakout year. Nobody will get over 10 sacks on the Giants, but we'll have multiple people with six or more. I'm actually going to go a little bit bolder here. I'm going to go Kyler Fackrell will have double-digit sacks in this defense. Okay, that's this very bold. 
Yeah, okay. it's pretty bold. Um, okay, you know what? I kind of want I kind of want another bold because you, you, you <laughs> definitely outbolded me. So I wanna I wanna. Uh, okay, Lorenzo Carter, eleven and a half sacks this year. Wow. He, he, so twenty. So if we're both right on these bold predictions, the Giants are going to be one of the best defenses in the NFL, or at least have one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. We'll see if that happens. But I really do like the fit, and I really do like the opportunity here for Kyler Fackrell. And this is a really, he, he knows what he's doing. He's signing a one-year prove-it deal. He believes in himself. He believes that he just kind of got screwed by that Packers, you know, not front office. I mean, they did the right thing. You want edge guys. They signed Pre- yeah. Preston and Zadarius Smith to massive contracts after his double-digit breakout se- sack season for Fackrell. And then they drafted an edge. I mean, what what more could he have done to change how things broke in, in his favor there, or, you know, against his favor there in Green Bay? But I think it's the total opposite coming to New York, and I really like his fit for Patrick Graham's defense from what I've, uh, you know, studied with Graham's defense. So I really love the fit, and that would be my bold prediction. All right, Nick, anything else? Yeah, go in. I was just going to say, if I had a realistic prediction, though, it yeah. would be what I initially said. So I don't think anybody's going to break double digits. Okay. I, I do feel like there'll be like three guys. I think it'll be Fack, O'Shane, and Lorenzo Carter who will have like nine, eight, and seven sacks or something along those lines. But I don't know if there's going to be somebody who has double digit on the team. That's fair. Ultimately, my bolder, bolder prediction would be that this defense going from literally, in my opinion, the worst or third or you know fourth at best worst defense in the NFL last year. Like you know, people blame Daniel Jones' turnovers for the Giants losing games. Giants moved the ball pretty fine on offense when you consider just how ridiculously bad the defense was by all metrics, DVOA, DVR, anything. You know, you look at Pro Football Focus metrics, raw total stats, time on the field. This defense was the reason they lost so many football games. But my bold prediction would be if this defense takes a step forward this year, it's going to be because of Bradbury, hopefully DeAndre Baker, Sam Beal, uh, and and uh, my boy, God, I'm blanking. Xavier McKinney. Name. Xavier McKinney, Julian Love, and Darnay Holmes playing really well and better than we expect. Um, and that's going to be the difference. There's going to be a ton of man coverage, and these guys are going to need to hold up. Um, so we'll see what happens. Anyway, Nick, anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, let's go Giants, baby. Yeah, let's go Giants. We'll be back shortly with a breakdown of the inside backers. We're going to turn it over to the secondary then and do some special teams. And hopefully, before we know it, we'll have real you know, other things to talk about, except for just roster breakdown. We'll have actual news, training camp development, depth chart movement. Who knows? It could be back football. Let's keep our hopes up. Until then, have a good one, Giants fans, and we'll talk to you soon.